2: All right, Sue, so you are in the house and the place to be. I think we are up. Everything's live. How are you doing tonight?
3: Really good. Thank you.
2: Cool. So, I guess to get this party going, um, you've been in a fitness game since what, the late 90s, but you always wasn't. You started had little theater.
3: late 80s, actually. Oh, I okay. myself, but no. the late 80s, actually.
2: <laughs> We're always in the fitness game. Didn't you have like some theatrical stuff going on too before? No,
3: I, no, I always was just uh, into fitness I mean I started out in the fitness industry when I was 16 uh, when there were only two types of classes that you could teach were high impact aerobics and calisthenics and my right. first certification <laughs> was jazzercise so that's aging me
2: no no. <laughs>
3: thanks for bringing it up Chris
2: <laughs> no that's awesome though I mean because um, you know I did PE and um, for my bachelor's degree and that was part we actually had to teach like aerobics and not jazzercise I guess it was more aerobic stuff but um, <laughs> that's when I got my first feel of it that what it was and it was actually teaching group fitness classes and that it wasn't just about barbells and running and you know yeah. pick up heavy stuff and putting it back down it's like oh there's other types of fitness to this so, so many yeah and that's one of the things that got my my attention forward or just that new I was like oh, okay there's a there's different levels there's different aspects to all this and just what I was taught in high school so in high school like we could take weightlifting at ninth grade but it was just straight like sports specific movements and stuff
3: as a class
2: yeah as a class that's cool yeah well i mean it was cool and not to knock it too much but it was literally just bro stuff and just meathead type workouts and like i said like some kind of sports specific movements our coach would pick up from other stuff so that got me introduced to it but yeah it was where i firmly, firmly picked up where how much exercise fitness and stuff would actually do for the body over time yeah cool
3: Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, that sort of happened to me when I was 13, I was sort of a fat kid that my dad used to call me a heifer in front of people. Like if that's not a sore spot for me, you know, Uh, and, uh, and I got into a gym and, um, was actually playing hide and go seek with my friend in the gym while her parents played tennis. And I was watching these dudes do a bench press. And this guy came over my shoulder. He goes, what do you think? You're like, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think of this whole thing? And I was like, that's the strongest guy I've ever seen. And he goes, wait till you see me do it, you know? Yeah. And he said to me, you want to be big and strong like me? I said, more than anything in the world and <laughs> got into lifting weights. And I watched my body go from kind of a chubby kid to um, a pretty fit person and then started doing athletics when I was pretty young um, in sports. And then by the time I got into high school, you know, I was doing varsity um, all
2: through high school. Nice. That, uh, you ever have a lot of nutrition back in the day that were early on? Cause you know, like early nineties, late to early two thousands. I knew nothing about any of that.
3: Right. So when I, when I was younger, what epitomized health and wellness when I was a kid were people like Jack LaLanne and Jane Fonda. Right. So I, I think I got a book when I was in eighth grade with a friend of mine about nutrition. And it said, you know, like, and not just nutrition, just an overall way to keep yourself youthful and vibrant. And you know, I'm like, 11, 12 years old reading this book. And it was really about being more regimented with um, calories and what a calorie was and, you know, washing your face before you go to bed and brushing your teeth twice a day and all these things. And so I think I instilled health and well-being very young because I had this obsession with aging. I, I thought of aging as a disease. I watched my great grandmother who was super spry go from the super intuitive woman to a woman who didn't know me. Over a course of a year. And I had said to my aunt, What happened to great grandma? And she said, She just got old. And I was like, Are you going to get old? She said, Yeah. I go, Am I going to get old? She said, Of course. (laughs) I was like, Well, how do you stop that from happening? Right. And so I guess I just associated aging with a loss of functionality. And how do you preserve that? And again, that's what was in my mind was if you ate right and you exercised, you'd lead this healthy, active, vibrant life. And I felt like I was on that track. I mean, I was in fitness, I was doing ESPN shows and I had a crunch bootcamp video. And in the late, uh, nineties, I got myself into just a boatload of chronic pain and it just nothing that I had in my toolbox fixed it. And that's what kind of veered me out of the fitness industry and into the healing arts of, uh, manual therapy.
2: Yeah. So I can kind of relate that, um, as far as you talking about like aging, you didn't want to age and you actually wanted to move well and when you got older and stuff like that, that's kind of how I saw it. Like when I was talking about that first weightlifting class I took in high school, that you know, when I first started ninth grade, eighth grade, I was literally, you know, five foot nothing, a hundred and some pounds. I was a kid that everybody told me I was gonna get picked on in high school, be putting in lockers and bullied and trash cans and all that stereotypical stuff. So when I actually saw like how much better I was getting just by from lifting weights and every six weeks they would test us as far as like our athletic performance. And if we, does that sound coming back? (laughs) And then, yeah. So I was like, Ooh, there's something to this. And not just a vanity thing, but it was more, just more of a performance thing for me. And then as I got older, it started becoming like more aware of how people treated it more as vanity and didn't really care about their performance or when they got, 60, 70 years old, if they were going to be able to walk or to the fridge or not, or pick up their grandkids and stuff like that. Yeah.
3: I mean, that's the thing though. The fitness industry isn't based on longevity. What it's based on is bodybuilding, muscle building philosophies and, and weight loss. I mean, that's what the fitness industry was founded upon. What, what's happened over the many decades that I've been in it is that functional exercises and rehabilitation kind of seeped into the fitness realm. Uh, and, but, it's, but it's still incomplete, right? And I think that there's a problem there. When, when I started seeing physical therapy offices getting put into the fitness clubs in New York city. I remember thinking to myself, is that not a red flag? It's like, Oh, go and work out. And then when you get injured, come over here. Cause we have it in couch. You don't even have to go anywhere. We'll, we'll, we'll mess you up. And then, and then we'll fix you again. And I just like, is that why? And, and that's what happened to me. You know I mean? Again, I was at the peak of my fitness career. I was 11% body fat. I made the cover of muscle and fitness magazine. You know, I was, I was there and I got into chronic pain and it was bewildering to me because I didn't have an identifiable source. I I just woke up one day and the bottom of my foot hurt me and I had convinced myself I'd stepped on a piece of glass. Right. So I kind of ignored it. And then, and then I was like, no, maybe it's not glass. Like maybe I need to stretch it. And I just didn't know what it was, but what started out as foot pain turned into this body wide fatigue. I was exhausted all the time. My back hurt me. My jaw hurt me. I had headaches and I, got scared. I went down that rabbit hole of going to doctors to try to figure out what the mysterious pain part of my body was. And all doctors did was either prescribe me a, a pain reliever, a, an antidepressant. Love that. Right. Because like at that point, the guy's like, you know what, you're 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 depressed. I'm like, no crap. I'm depressed. I'm a fitness professional at the peak of my career and I can't move without pain. Of course, I'm depressed, but I wasn't depressed. And then I had pain. Like, why is this pain? persisting in what is it that's causing me the pain problem and that's what veered me out of the fitness industry and into the healing arts and that's why I'm where I am today trying to explain to people that there are other systems in your body that you need to care for beyond just your muscles beyond just your diet there are other things that we can do besides build muscle and eat you know Fruit and vegetables <laughs> uh, to keep to keep active and healthy. There's so much more to the human body, and it's just not of the fitness industry. But you shouldn't have to get injured to learn about it. You, we could be proactive instead of reactive with this information, and that's what I'm out there doing is sharing that kind of stuff every day.
2: Yeah, that's not the actual sexy thing to talk about. It's like you know the stretching and the recovery part of working out and what you're doing for the body outside of the gym and. Besides just picking up heavy stuff or running or whatever your fitness goals are. But it seems like now, though, that more and more information is coming out, more popular people as far as influencers or fitness enthusiasts, whatever you want to say, people like yourself are like, oh, there's actually some or a lot of truth to actually stretching and recovering and mobilizing and, you know, working on your body other than just, you know, doing meathead type workouts or whatever you want to say. And it wasn't like a sexy thing
3: Yeah. If you want to look, I mean, I, I like a physique of a fit physique, right? I mean, I've, I think that having a fit physique is very sexy. I think it's alluring. I, I like what I feel like when I look good in my pair, in my jeans, you know, of course, but I also feel like we, you know, again, like this idea of recovery, when people use that word, I always think of like something went wrong. When you're recovering from something, you recover from a surgery, you recover from an injury. You shouldn't have to really recover from your workouts. Like what's that about, right? So instead, what if we use the word restorative? If we restored our body, if we actively participated in performing and then restoring, we would have a better resolve. So my motto is prepare, perform, restore, repeat, right? Because if you don't spend time Preparing the aspects of your body that tend to be the things that get injured, like your joints. If you don't prepare your joints for your performance, and then you work really hard and you train hard, and then you don't also restore the joint capsules, you don't, you don't, res- res- restore the resilience of your joint centralization, you are going to spend a lot of time and a lot of money searching for a therapist uh, who's gonna help you recover from the injuries that you got from your performance and from not preparing and restoring your body. That's as simple as it is.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's what I was trying to say. And like, you know, and with all my training and everything I've heard, I've always heard the word recovery. You know, even if we take a kind of a rest day, but it's actually an active recovery day, you know as far as that goes. So I guess that's a more I like the word restorative more. Yeah. That's a better way to say it.
3: It is a better way to stay. We're not recovering from anything. You're not an alcoholic recovering from something. You're not an injured person recovering from something. You're not trying to overcome something. We shouldn't overcome our workouts. We should just give back to our bodies now that it's given to us. And and if we feel good and our joints don't ache, I think that's a recipe for quality over lifetime. You know, I want to feel good every day and I'm in my fifties now. So it's like, you know, I've kind of passed that, that that mark of halfway through my life and I don't want to age today I always say I'm going to age I just want to do it later in life like when I'm 90 you know mm-hmm. I can be all wrinkly and everything but before that I want to try to stave off some of the negative effects I associate with the aging process and and gain all of the benefits of aging like not giving a crap what anybody thinks and just being who I am and you know loving as much as I can and you mm-hmm. You know, just being happy is like it just seems like a better uh, way to exist is is in a happy, abundant life. And when you feel good, you tend to be nicer to everybody, too.
2: Yeah, so, I there's mean, that. You, know, <laughs> yeah you don't want to go walk around being, you know, doom and gloom all the time and just thinking everything sucks and it's shit. I mean, you know, with the workouts and having, you know, had that independence of being able to. Look good in your jeans, like you said, and you know, okay. walk to the deli mart or wherever you're going with no, yeah, no, no problem at all. Yeah, you feel good. You have a new strut about you. You just live life a whole completely different way. And more people don't see it that way. They don't see the positive benefits of it of things just like that. Not only that, that's not the physical, but the mental part of it. You know?
3: Yeah, and I mean, some people like they're like, oh, I hate going to the gym. Nope. I hate doing the workouts. And I'm like, well, then you're not doing. Like you don't have to go to a gym. Like all you need to do is find your sangha, your community, your your people, your tribe that you relate to, that gets you motivated, um, that gets you out there. Whether it's, you know, getting a couple of friends and going for a power walk or getting out into nature and going for a hike. You know, you don't necessarily need to be power lifting, but there is something to be said about resistance training and anybody who doesn't believe that or advocates to just do pranayama and just, you know, yogic practice, and that's all they're going to do because that's all you need. Well... I I just, I think body weight is super, super important, but I also think loading the body a bit is also very beneficial to our overall resilience. You have to push the body a little bit here and there. You can't be all, you know, complacent like a baby. You do need to push the body a little bit to keep it moving over a lifetime. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. You not only just push your body, but you're also challenging yourself on what you can and can't do. You know, I mean, right now there's a book I've been, I didn't read about it, but I read the What do you call it? The description of it, but it's called Manthropology. It was actually talking about how people, it compared modern humans today to people in like, you know, Roman and Greek. Yeah. times and how much tougher they were compared to where they now because they actually had to actually do more manual labor type stuff they Had to so, fight for food yeah exactly yeah you just couldn't go to the grocery store had to get over each actually had to go out there and hunt something
3: uh, costco's right down the street i <laughs> could get food for a month and a mile from here you know okay. I mean, that's another thing chris you know like we're sitting such an abundance of of our lifetime today sure. you know when i think that it's gotten more and more that way i mean of course when we were kids we were sitting a lot in class but we had gym class you know You know, we we were out there playing. And then after school, we were you know told to leave the house and go out and get fresh air and then come back in. So I think that the problem with our modern lifestyle is that we have everything that we could possibly need even more. We have connection to everything, yet we're more departed from human touch, from human connection. And we're sitting at a computer screen way, way, way too much. And it is really altering our human functionality that we've spent all of these centuries trying to acquire, right? All of these years and years of human development. And we're kind of messing it up with our modern lifestyles, I think, you know, being, being, uh, texting all the time, the way we're using our thumbs. I think we're causing a lot of trouble for the children of today and what their children and their, and their grandchildren are going to be like. I mean, I wonder how much of this is really going to change our structural form of the human body. I think it is going to impact us in decades from now.
2: Well, yeah, I think we're, I mean, we're already there and we're already seeing it as far as obesity yeah. rates and as far as you know, students, you know, I work in higher education. And as far as students now I have always been born with <laughs> screens in front of them. And even now, you know, when I'm watching them, sit at desk or whatever they're doing, you know, they literally, like you said, just punched over all the time as far as posture and everything goes and they don't realize. And even myself, you know, I basically work at a desk most of the day, but I don't realize how much I'm sitting. And then when I finally did become aware of it, I went and got myself a standing desk. But yeah, to your point though, I think over times, I don't know, we're eventually going to see where, you know, there's old alien, like life stereotypical pictures you see where it's like bald heads and really skinny bodies and it's like you know with Elon Musk trying to invent the Neuralink where you won't be able to have to use words to talk it's just going to be weird yeah and it's going to be like exactly what you said that you know it's just going to be a completely different type of human out there rather than a fit happy person like if what most people would want I think so you know and just even in the Civil War area there's a stat out there I heard recently that you know the average male was 140 some pounds and that was what roughly 100 years ago yeah so, yeah. Yeah. Go we'll like figure, a, right? Yeah, and I, now, now we're you know this huge food consumption everywhere we go, and yeah, look how much. Yeah, I
3: mean we have we have such an increased rate of heart disease, diabetes, and cancer,
2: sure.
3: right? And and again, in when I was younger, I remember when the when the non-fat, you know, low-fat uh, kind of diets came out, and it caused a massive. Uh, increase in those types of diseases. And so we know that our food sources are turning to crap. We, we really, our food sources are terrible these days. And unfortunately, I believe that the education that could really help kids uh, isn't getting to them soon enough. And you really have to be looking for solutions to longevity and health and being, And I don't think that people do that until they have a problem. So I'm always one of those advocates that's saying there is a huge difference between proactive and reactive, right? We do things after we've got a problem to find a solution. We're not really doing things to prevent stuff. And even for people to say, well, I exercise and I eat right. And I'm like, you know what? It's a dirty little secret of fitness. Lots of people eat right and exercise and still have chronic pain and all sorts of problems, emotional trauma, psychological issues. So it's, it's not a recipe there. You know, it's a very myopic view that... Fitness is the thing that that is going to transform your your whole life. It isn't. It is a piece of, of it. But even in the fitness industry, like I was just at the uh, UrSA conference and I hear, Here's the new thing in fitness is called recovery. And another word that they're using, brand new term, it's called wellness, right? We should stop calling it the fitness industry and call it the wellness and fitness industry. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, we're trying to be everything for everybody in the fitness realm, but I think that we just need to realize that fitness it has something to do with resilience, right? Resilience training to be resilient for your lifetime, not just to be fit, right? It's not about your mus- your muscles and your bones and your and your and your nutrition and how fat you are, how skinny you are, your BMI. It, life fitness and wellness and resilience and health span is the word we use, health span, right? To improve our the quality of our health today to ensure a better tomorrow. And it's just that the fitness industry is very slow on the uptake. Back in the late 90s, when I started really investigating stuff about neurofascial science and was trying to figure out my own pain problems and got myself out of this pain point and then shifted into the healing arts and then tried to bring that back into fitness, I mean, people were like, well, you can't exercise your fascia. And this is too complicated. And nobody wants to come to the gym to restore, like to be, be, you know, to to stretch. People want to come to the fitness industry to sweat. And I get it. That's true. You know, people are more apt to spend 30 bucks going to one class to have somebody yell at you while you're on a treadmill, rather than calmly teaching you how to take care of your body so that a decade from now, your knees aren't needing replacement, right? It's it's weird, but I get it. You know, one is seems instantaneous changes. And one seems like I don't even want to think about myself in 10, 20, 30 years from now. Right. But we, what you're doing today is what is changing your future. It's not what you did in the past. And I hear a lot of people, especially guys who are suffering with pain in their forties and fifties, they will always say, well, when I was 20, I was a football player and I was really strong and I could push an ox. And well, I played tennis for every day of the week. I'm like, okay, well, you know, when I was younger, my hair was longer and I was probably more muscular, but I don't, it's, I'm not talking about it today because that's in the past and nothing's happening there. And you're now 50 pounds overweight and you threw a ball to your kid and you tore your rotator cuff. So maybe it's time to live in the present moment where everything is happening and you have so much control because you can't change the past and I can't go back there and put you back there. So you have to live very presently. And I think that in the case of injuries, especially in fitness, we have this mindset that we're still 20 and can still just pick up a football and chuck it as hard as we want and not hurt ourselves. But you will, if you're not stable.
2: Yeah. Hopefully I remember my one thought on that, but I want to go back and that because of the wellness term, like you said, is that just because it's a really vague or blanket definition and they're trying to include all of what people might say, what is fitness or recreation or health or, whatever to them because and what I'm getting at is because I used to work and when I work well I've had a couple different jobs on in higher education but I was a facility manager in our recreation department and we actually rebranded it to become recreation and wellness but when I would ask students coming into the facility and stuff you know what wellness meant to them or everyone had a different definition of it
3: right what is wellness right what a weird word well, it's the same thing as fitness like define fitness what is it that defines your fitness is it your BMI, your, your fat to muscle ratio is about how young you are. Is it about how active you are? Like what really defines these terms? I think, I think that's the problem is we're trying, like the fitness industry, again, is trying to be everything for everybody. And what we know is that there's like over a 500% growth rate in, in people who enter a gym over the age of 55, up until COVID. When COVID happened, none of the old people went to the gym because they were all scared to, to be with groups, right? Sure. So it's gonna be a slow return of the older adults in fitness. And I think that that's a shame, you know, that we've gotten so afraid when there's so many things we can do to enhance, again, our well-being and our resilience and, and boost our immune system so that if you do get COVID, it's like a flu, right? It's yeah. like Omicron. I, I said Omicron was short for, oh my God, I got a cold, right? Okay. So I, I, it kind of sound like a cold. When I got it, it was like a cold, lasted for four or five days. I, you know, did my due diligence. I drank a lot of water. I slept a lot. And four days later, I felt fine. I think that's it. Is we don't know what wellness is. We don't know how to be well because nobody's taught us how to take care of ourselves for real. People get sick and they still go to work right? And we've learned from that, hopefully with COVID, but I still go to the gym and people are coughing without covering their mouths. They're still, you know, you know, doing something and then using the machines. And I'm like, ew, ew, you're so gross. I mean, can you like clean up after your dirty self? So I don't know, you know, do we, are, is fitness trying to be everything to everybody? I think yes. What does wellness mean? I don't know. I think what we should just say is if is resilience. We want longevity. We want vitality at any age. And and I think we can be more resilient older. Again, I don't think I look like a 50-year-old and I definitely don't look like the 50-year-old I had in my head when I was in my 20s or when I was a teenager. And I will bet that I will live until I'm 115 years old and when I'm 105, I'm finally going to be like, you know what? I don't really feel like teaching anymore, but I'm going to still do it just because somebody should still, you know what I mean? I don't know. But I I just feel like if you can keep your mind clear and you keep your emotions in check and you actively participate every day and do things that are good for you, I think that you're going to live an abundant life. And even for the weird stuff we do, like drinking a tequila or smoking weed or whatever else people are doing to, you know, deal with their daily life. I still think, are you happy? And if you're happy, you know, figure it out, but don't use, use as little prescription medication as you can. I think that that's an important aspect. Once you get into the pharmaceutical world to keep yourself healthy, you are down a slippery slope of, uh, more medications as you get older.
2: Yeah, no, I like that goal. I got a goal of trying to become a centurion myself. So yeah,
0: yeah,
2: we'll see what happens, yeah. but uh, uh, we'll see if genes take over or whatever. Because, but but yeah, what I wanted to say though was that one of the pros for COVID, I think, was for people to actually kind of start to realize how unhealthy they were, and when, and not you know, I guess I shouldn't say a pro, but I mean it was in a sense that. They did. And people actually started to turn around and say, Ooh, I wasn't as healthy as I thought I was. And that, you know, like you said, Omicron was just a bad cold. Well, some people couldn't even handle a bad cold at the time. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, they found out that, you know, in the hospitals, I forgot the statistics, it was like 70% of people were obese that were having had COVID that were gonna actually had to go to the hospitals. Maybe yeah. might be less than that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but, or had lack of vitamin D's and it's just random stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, and also, and I guess one of the cons too what I want to say is that it almost became this whole dogma approach. And just because in 2022, there's so much information about there as far as if you want to say health, fitness, wellness, mindset, mentality, whatever, just because almost everybody has their, they want to say it's almost a one all, one size fits all approach to it. Does that kind of make sense? You know, they see somebody on Instagram and like, Oh yeah, they're doing X, Y, and Z. And I should be doing that too. And not that whatever that person on Instagram is doing is wrong or right, but that person would think that just because they're doing it, they should be doing it, which it didn't work out for them and just maybe possibly could have made things worse. So I yeah. think it's just almost information overload and just there's too many people who thinks they become experts in medical field and the health field and whatever. Oh, yeah, And everyone's got all their the own gurus.
3: There's so many gurus out there and all of these fitness pros who are Instagram sensations, but, um, you know, again, the fitness industry is chock full of that. Like we all know that if I bend my elbow and I bring my my hand to my shoulder, that's a bicep curl. So, you know, okay, this is the muscle that does that. And I'm like, well, no muscle actually acts alone. So that's not true, but I get it. We know how to make exercises contract muscles. And so that's going to develop muscles. But if you have a compensatory pattern through your sensory motor system, you every time you do that if your shoulder comes up you're going to give yourself neck problems or hip problems on the opposite side soon enough and you're not going to associate your crappy bicep curl that you think is making your bicep look better so that you know girls will like you or whatever that is that makes us do the things we want to do you know i don't know but uh you know it um i just don't think we understand how the body actually operates to sustain efficiency and stability involuntarily and the majority of what happens to us in a day has nothing to do with our conscious awareness or voluntary control. The majority, right? I don't have to think myself to get up in the morning. I don't think myself to fall asleep. I don't think myself to have to take a poop or pee. I don't even have to. I don't even have to think about getting up off of a chair. I just want to go get something, and I just. get up and go get that thing. But if I'm in pain, I think about everything. Sure. I think about I think so much I actually alter my sensory motor pathways cuz now I'm like, "Oh my god, my back hurts. How am I going to get up off this chair?" And now I'm adopting new patterns which are completely messing up my brain's uh, ability to anticipate how I want to move. And the more I compensate to get where I want to go. Cause I'm stubborn about actually restoring my body. I actually cause more problems down the road that I, that I'm going to need somebody to help me fix. And, and I just think that's a slippery slope too. You know I mean? We just, mm. we have so much ability to care for ourselves. We just don't know how, and you're not going to learn it on Instagram. I'm sorry. I don't care who's the next expert. Who's the next guru. There's like, I mean, I've been studying the human body for 30 years and more it's embarrassing. So much of my life, the majority of my life, actually. So embarrassing. And I mean, at the last Fascia Congress in 2018, Carlos Stecco presented um, new information that we have that they discovered a new cell in fascia called that they're calling a fascia site. That is the primary cell that actually produces hyaluronin. It's not the fibroblast that produces collagen and and They primarily are making the collagen. And these other smaller cells that look just like it are actually the ones that are creating hyaluronin. Freaking fantastic. We're 2020, or, you know, like in this day and age, we're still discovering new cells in the human sure. body. I mean, think about that. So, anybody who calls themselves a guru of any sort, I would love to sit down and challenge them by asking them 101 questions and seeing how many they can really answer about the human body. And I'll bet that in the first three, they fail and the And the game is done.
2: And and just so the listeners know that when you say fascia, you're actually just talking about tissue, right?
3: Well, fascia is not just a tissue. That's just it. Okay. As in recent research, we're starting to discover that fascia could actually be considered a system of stability because there are active properties in fascia. There are active cells that are constantly like good housekeepers tinkering with the tissue. Um, right. So the cells are producing the fibrous elements of fascia, but fascia is in fact a system that is supporting, protecting, and stabilizing everything in your body. It's what keeps your skin lifted and resilient, gives your joint shock absorption. It is actually stabilizing every cell, blood vessel, and nerve in your body. Uh, so on a cellular level, it is the stability system of every cell, nerve, and blood vessel, not just your muscles and bones. It's playing significant roles. I call fascia a, a, a neurological sensory superconducting highway. It's, it, is, it is transporting nutrients, Uh, it is helping with stability of every aspect of your body. And it's the most abundant tissue in your body that has been the least researched except for the last 25 years. And now because of atomic force microscopy and looking at fascia under a microscope and these uh, high powered microscopes, we're now looking at the behavior of these cells and realizing that this system is actually doing more for us and is a system that our nervous system, our lymphatic system, our digestive system, and our musculoskeletal system rely upon to function efficiently.
2: Hmm. And you said this is now getting studied now compared to the last twenty five years. Is that just because we didn't have just it to in study?
3: the last twenty five years? I mean, the past twenty five years has been when atomic force microscopy has been used. So in the past, you know, twelve years. Uh fascia, the study of fascia has gotten more, um, more prevalent and there's more money going into the research of it. I, I'm a founding member of the Fascial Research Society. And in 2004, when we established it, it took three more years. And then in 2007, we had our very first fascia Research Congress at Harvard University. And the doctors were like up in a huff because their whole thing was, does this mean with all these things we're finding out about fascia that we're going to have to change our surgical procedures? To decrease scarring. Ooh. And the and Dr. J.C. Gumberto, who presented this inner workings of fashion, was like. Yes. And that's a hard thing. That's like asking the collegiate world to update books, right? There's no money in the collegiate world. So the collegiate world is going to proceed one funeral at a time. When I was doing my masters, I was reading books from the 1960s on anatomy. And and actually, there is a lot of incorrect information in a lot of those books, a lot of it. Um, but, but it's going to take a long time for us to fully catch up. When you go to physical therapy schools, the same books that they were reading back then also. And so we're very outdated in the progressiveness, unless you've got somebody who's really looking beyond the confines of the collegiate education to figure out how to help people, including themselves, you know, live abundantly, move with efficiency. Hmm.
2: I never realized we were that far outdated. You know, I mean, I knew that when, you know, when I was going through my master's and my bachelor's, I knew some of the books were older, but I never thought about that. Wow. You know, what has changed so much since the last 10 or 20 years? So that's a good point to make that, you know, obviously back in 1960s and now we're in what was what that almost 60 years later. Wow. How far we've come. Good. It's point.
3: incredible actually that science, science and technology, right? I mean, the internet has allowed us to be global. with communication, right? And so quickly, right? I mean, when I was a kid, we had a rotary phone and if we called a friend and it was busy, you just had to wait until... Somebody was off that phone to get a message over there, or you'd have to leave your house and walk over to your friend's house, right? Now we get mad when you know it takes more than four seconds to upload a, a, a you know something on our on Google. We're like, oh my God, four seconds. <laughs> is this is going on forever, right? I mean, we're so in a panic to get this information out right now. So again, we are the smartest we could potentially be and we're the dumbest ever. But on a science level, science and technology have so expanded our ability ability to understand neuroscience and cellular research it is actually incredible what's going on in these communities of of science the unfortunate thing is in the U.S. at least we have a hard time taking that information in um, or doing research on it because unless somebody's going to devise a pill and it's going to be a pharmaceutical product. There's not a lot of money in self-care and self-preservation because in fact, it would put the pharmaceutical industry out of business. So they don't really want anybody to be well. They want to get us into the sick care industry so that they can give us pills to get us better, right? They don't want us to stay healthy for too long, right? They want us to be reliant on it because that's how the world is. It's power and money. I mean, I know, agree. power money sex those are the three most powerful things in the world I mean rage just narrowed down to sex and money those are <laughs> two of the most powerful tools on the planet to get what you want right if we, I got a lot of money or I can sell myself I can I can certainly exploit some part of me and and make money off of that that's that's where our world is sadly today and we're in a precarious predicament because there's a lot of people, I mean, you saw it, in and I don't want to talk about politics, but there are some people who deny science because of some weird belief, and you can believe whatever you want, but when there's a scientific study that's done that can actually explain stuff, you know... You you want to own that you like you want to look at that but don't be held even on the science because here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people know about research papers is that a research paper can come out validating something and ten years later another team starts to realize that the standing procedure of that study was done improperly and so all of that is wrong and now they've redone the study. But the old study, you can still find on the internet, and you're still going to think that that's the truth of what you're reading. And it isn't. And you don't know that there's been an update, because that's just not the way that the world works. You have to be actively in the science world, I think, to stay on the cutting edge. And I mean, I've been knee deep in this for now 25 years. And I am learning every day something new. Somebody's coming up, somebody's sending me something to read. I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, it's just never ending now. So we're at a real precipice where if what you want to do is, is not only just be fit today, but again, be healthy and resilient when you're in your 60s, your 70s, your 80s. You don't want to have the knee replacement. you don't want to be sedentary. The younger you recognize how fascia works and how your nervous system works, the better off you're going to be to live a more resilient life. I'm going to tell anybody that that is like. Those are the two systems that people don't know anything about in fitness. And they're the two systems that stabilize, support, and protect you. So you should know about them.
2: Yeah, no, I agree 100% with what you just said. And I love it. And, you know, especially with the pharmaceutical industry, I mean, what is it that stupid saying that uh, the treatments in the, or the money's in the treatment, not the cure? So that's, that's right. re- and, and p- people, I think, just love, I don't, because to take medicine. And I don't know, maybe just because they grew up with it, but, you know, everyone, almost everyone I know, they're taking some form of medicine or, right? Just whether to help with, I don't know, pain, their thyroid, heart, blood pressure, whatever. But it's like, whatever. yeah, and it's like almost as they think of it as almost as a shortcut. You know, oh, I got to take a pill right now for the rest of my life. You know, like when I started losing my hair, you know, they told me I could either take a pill the rest of my life or take Rogaine. But then after I stopped taking it, that it'll just fall out anyway. I was like, well, fuck, I'm just going to embrace it. So,
3: yeah, so I was like what all if all this people- sexy. I've never met a guy that's bald this as sexy. You. Thank
2: you. Yeah. You're thank doing you do it
3: good Chris. Keep you at
2: you. it. Yeah, you know, it took me a while like when I cuz I was graduating, I mean this is off topic here, but right when I graduated from a bachelor's I started losing it back here and I was like, damn, you know, it's like I'm 24 and I'm you're 22. Hello bro, I'm losing my hair. But yeah, there's there's a lot of cool people out there with bald heads. So I was like I'm just going to embrace it. What happens? We'll see who we'll go with it. But my point was is that what if people thought that you know, what if I didn't do things like this? What if I changed my lifestyle a little bit? What if I worked on myself a little bit? Like you've, we've been talking about, and I didn't have to take these pills, you know, for the rest of my life or do whatever. Maybe if I just change a couple of different things and see how my body reacts to it. Yeah. Yeah. Why? I mean, like, I hate taking pills. You yeah. Know?
3: but that's it. Is that, I mean, actually I've had clients say to me, you know, I would do melt, but it's a lot easier for me to just take the pain reliever and, mm. you know, and I just look at them and I'm like, oh. I feel bad for you, but if that's what you believe, in a decade from now, when you're on four pills and you've had a knee surgery and a hip replacement, I want you to remember what you're saying to me right now because what you're saying to me is, I refuse to take care of myself or to try to improve my situation. I would rather rely on a pill that's gonna make me not feel anything and forget that I am the the, the person that I am is a spirit occupying a body and utilizing a mind to have a human experience. And I am being irresponsible on this incredible vessel that I've been given to, to lead this human experience. And once I say something like that to my clients, they're like, all right, I'm going to start melting. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to be a mo- somebody's mother, but it's like, we ha- again, we have a huge potential to adapt our autonomic nervous system, because our autonomic nervous system is adapting through aging. But if we know how to tinker with the autonomic aspects of stability and regulation, and that, and I mean that on every day, hormones, metabolism, if we can tap into those things that are mostly functioning without our voluntary control or conscious awareness and get in there a little bit and tinker with it, we help the autonomic regulation of stress repair and digestion balance out much faster than any pill will ever do. And it comes with no side effects. It only comes with up effects, no side effects. It's only, it'll only just help you in every which way.
2: Mm. Man. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I wish more people would just not be lazy and just, you know, do exactly what you just said and just learn from Hey, there's up effects. You don't have to worry about all the side effects. It's, it's like not
3: even that they're lazy though, Chris. I mean, like, are they being lazy or is it just, there's a belief that I cannot help myself or there's a, a yeah. part of some people where, where we actually revel in suffering. We have a choice to suffer or not. We have a choice. We really do. When we, when something traumatic happens to us, we can either go in a hole and become despondent and get depressed and everything else. Or we can look at it from a different side and say, what is the universe trying to tell me? How, what is it that I needed to learn, mm. to, and, and why I'm going through this. My I, I, my husband passed away, and I was like out of nowhere. And then COVID happened, and it's like what what is going on in my life? This happy, awesome thing, and all of a sudden, everything turned to shit in front of me. But I but it, I didn't fall apart. I didn't you know crawl in a hole and forget about my life. Instead, I looked at that and I thought let me learn how to navigate through grief. How do I, how do I stay on my upper level? How do I function in the highest level possible so that I can be the best role model for the spirit that's occupying this body and know that I'm taking care of myself. And in that, can, can that then be reflected to everything else that I'm doing? And it, it, uh, I think I'm a better woman now than I was before I got married.
2: No, I understand understand that completely. And I think that's, Because you're a very strong woman. I mean, you got a great mindset. I mean, you obviously you really care about, you know, living to 115 or 120 or whatever you said. But I think there's other other people out there who, when they get beat down, that's all they know how to do, and they don't know how to look at it on the opposite end of what you just said. You know, that's right. Yeah, and they just go with it. They're so I'll just keep taking my licks, and this this is gonna be my life now until you know I die. But there's other people like you who eventually to say, well, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, life can be different, and I don't know. Why, why that is or how people get into that mindset maybe it's just the environment they grew up in but yeah. you know it's one of those things too when you know as i was going through you know high school college and everything that i kind of always thought i was stuck in my ways it was almost like i had a fixed mindset that i didn't know how to get out of my own way or learn something new i just thought life was just what it was but it was once until i just started opening up my mind and learning you know different aspects of i don't know i mean this philosophy comes to my mind, but philosophy, fitness, I mean, how other people are living, new information, new science. It was like, and not just be automatically disregard everything I always saw. It's, oh, well, they're not right. You know, but it's like, oh, well, let me see what they're talking about here. Let me read into it a little bit and see if there's any truth to this or not. And that's when it helped me, you know, expand and change the way I was living and made me a better person for it, you know? And one thing I'd really like to say is that I'm not the same person I was Fifteen years ago, I'm not the same person I was ten years ago, and then right. five years ago, yeah, I keep getting better and better. Hopefully, I mean, some people would probably argue with that, but I guess my point <laughs> is that, <laughs> I guess my point is that I just don't really understand. Like when I see a person like that and they just want to be so negative and like doom and gloom, as we talked about earlier, and just that they don't want to change anything about it. It's like, well, let's spin this around. Let's do a 180 and you can improve things. I mean, just because you're having a shit day today doesn't mean it's going to keep happening. I mean, you just keep making these small wins, small successes, and what is it? it compounds over time and eventually something happens. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, just, I guess that's all my whole point. That was a little bit of a rant, but I just wish more people could get in that mindset. Just, I don't know yeah, how it, to make cause it. Cause it, but. It, it's,
3: it. takes It takes a great listener – to understand where somebody's psychology is. When we are very in a state of suffering, when we do not feel resilient, when we feel helpless and hopeless, we we can become sounding very negative. Um, but you, you you hit something is oftentimes that roots from some trauma that happened in our childhood some way that we were raised. And I mean, I, I can speak for myself, grew up in a family where my dad was kind of a militant dude, very, very stern um, very demoralizing to me. And I learned how to fly under the radar. I'm quite an introvert. I, you know, <clears throat> I don't really like to be out in a crowd, you know, like I kind of, you know, try to avoid that at all costs for many years. And I, <clears throat> I did it because my dad would always point out how strange I was, or I was so weird, right? You know, like you're just, can't you be like all the other kids? Like, why do you have to stand out so much? Like, can't you just be like everybody else? And so I thought that there was something wrong with me, that I was so vibrant or I had this energy. And and again, I was lucky enough I had a great grandmother who said, you know, you you're magic. You actually have something very special in you. And so what you think is a curse or your dad is saying is strange is going to become your greatest blessing. In fact, there's something there. Hold on to that. And it got me through some of the hardest times of my life of feeling like I was completely alone. I didn't have anybody to lean on. Nobody loved me. Nobody was going to care about me. And I was by myself and to realize, you know, I'm 51 and I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by loving vibrant people who are so grateful that they know me, that I feel like, you know, I've shared with them. And so that's lifted me up. So when somebody says, I can't do anything or my life is this way. What they're really saying is, can somebody please help me? I so need some help and I don't know how to ask for help because I don't feel worthy to get the help. And therefore, I cannot even help myself. And that's a hard place to be. But, you know, you're hitting something very truthful is that we can change that. We can't, we can actually turn that around. We just need the group of people that is going to help us to elevate. And that's why, you know, having a great personal trainer or a coach or something like that can really aid in those first stages of transformation. Um, It's kind of like a dark alley. It's better to not go down those roads alone. Always better to get some people who can shine a light on that path that you need to get through. And I think that um, we can transform ourselves from the inside out probably more than most people think.
2: Yeah you know and like i said like i saw that as a weakness in me and you know still i have inner demons that come up and you know i don't know if you want to call it imposter syndrome or whatever but they come up and say like oh you know don't take this chance or you know don't you know i don't know what i'm trying to say like you don't go to your crossfit competition you're probably going to do bad or poorly but, but when i see people talk to me that way you know like oh like i'm you know i do crossfit on the side and coach a couple of classes during the week that when they tell me things like, Oh, I'll never be able to do that. I can't do that. You know, what do, you know, they always ask about our scores and stuff like that. Like, "Well, what do normal people do? And I was like, no, don't say that about yourself. You know, you stop putting yourself down like that. I mean, just because you're not be able you're not, you can't do it today doesn't mean you won't be able to do it tomorrow. And I think that's what kind of makes me angry is because when I don't, well, maybe angry is not the right word, but just upset or agitated. I don't know. But you know, when somebody tells me that's like, no, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you just don't, you see the other light, you know, it's not always doom and gloom. I mean, you can do stuff, you can be better, but stop, you know, just stop talking to yourself like that. You know, you'll never be able to do it that way. And just, yeah. Cause I think I used to be that way. Actually, I know I used to be that way, you know, and I used to be like, you know, working hard was not cool. And that was only for nerds and stuff like that. And reading and bettering right. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And bettering yourself was not, you know, cool. Like, you know, all my friends, you know, were like, oh, we're going out drinking and stuff, you know, and I'd get caught up in that. I was like, well, that's what I want to go do. And then, you know, after college, it was like, that's my whole mind shift change. You know, I was like, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And and I'm not knocking anybody I've ever hung out with or anything, but it was one of those things that mm, I got to change. You know, I yeah. can't keep doing the same thing. I got to do something. That I be better.
3: Us, you know, like we, we have this opportunity to be kind and loving to ourselves, but it turns out that we are the worst critic of ourselves. And, and the words that we say to ourselves if I spoke to other people the way that sometimes I speak to myself, I would get punched in the face for it. Do you know what I'm saying? I say I 100%. that They're saying, I can't do this. I can't do that. I shouldn't this. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be Yoda here for a second. No freaking can't, only do. Okay? Like, you, you know, what I'm hearing you say is that you're terrible and you suck. And is that the way you feel about yourself? Because I want to understand you. And, and that's it is that a lot of times when I'm kind of giving tough love to my client, they burst into tears because the reality of it is there is a part of them that is desperately crying out for love that they don't feel loved because they're not loving themselves. And so they have that ability to like say those horrible things. So sometimes when somebody's saying, I can't do this, I can't do that. I go, yeah, no, nah, yeah, definitely you can. I mean, you know, like there's no point in you even trying. I mean, right. And then they're like, what i go i know it sounds horrible doesn't it because that's the words i'm hearing from your inside voice i'm just your inside voice reflecting back to you how you're talking to yourself and if you said that to me i'd up and punch you right in the lip you know they're like God, I am talking really smack <laughs> about myself. And I said, don't do it, right? Because that's how you get into the suffering, right? Is that we actually have a belief that we can't do things. And I always, my, I, I mean, one good thing my dad said is, you know, you're never achieving if you're not failing, right? If you don't try and fail, then you never tried hard enough. So if you fail, fair enough. Just get back up on the horse and try again. Don't I fail, then I'm never going to do it again, right? And so I feel like I'm... um. I'm hell bent on always trying and trying again.
2: Hmm. I love that. And so I know we're getting kind of short on time here, but I want you to talk about the milk method real quick. So everyone kind of gets a little piece of it or tidbit of it. But I'm guessing that based on the earlier part of the conversation is when you said you hurt your foot and the doctor told you to be on antidepressants. Is that kind of when you came up with this?
3: Uh, well, that was when I, I mean, I was lucky enough in the late nineties, Google became a thing and I typed in fascia on the internet and I, all these sites came up and most of them were either about airplane propellers or sticks wrapped in twine. But the 50 or so that were about the human body, I started investigating, um, fascia because the first diagnosis that I got was plantar fasciitis. And I thought huh, inflamed fascia could inflamed fascia be causing me all this pain. And if that's the case, there's no exercise for that. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you heal fascia? Like, is that even possible? Like, Uh, I don't don't understand fascia well enough to understand that. And so I went down this rabbit hole to really understanding fascia. And what was compelling to me was as I started learning these light touch therapeutic techniques that got me out of pain. And I started to apply those to my clients because I started out as a neuromuscular therapy and high performance athletes. And in 2001, when nine 11 happened, All of a sudden, my private practice kind of exploded with a lot of people with post-traumatic stress disorder. What I started making a link with was, you know, accidents and injuries will cause you pain, but illness, heartbreak, and loss, and emotional trauma can actually cause more chronic pain than a physical act of injury. And it doesn't matter where your pain source comes from, fascia plays a role in the persistence of pain as well as the cessation of it. So, I started applying these techniques with my hands with my clients. And a client of mine who had chronic TMJ said to me, You know, I come to you and I'm fine for about a week and a half. I don't have a migraine. I don't have tension headaches. My jaw feels better. And then after a couple of weeks, it comes back. And I said, It's got to be something in your environment. And she said, Well, if you could just invent a way for me to do to myself what you do with your magic hands, I'd stay out of your office. Yeah. I thought, Well, I'd be unemployed if it happened, but I wonder (laughs) if I could do that. And so in, in the early 2000s, I really started to tinker with toys. Bob, I came up with this idea of taking PVC piping. I wrapped it in bubble wrap, wrapped it in a yoga blanket and a yoga mat and duct taped the thing together and started doing these light touch compression techniques and kept her out of pain for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months. And, and then she said, can you do something with my husband's back? And it was just kind of off to the races. And so by 2004, I'd started to develop these sequences and I went to a health club in New York city, actually a local community center and said, I got this idea to bring manual therapy into the fitness industry to sort of bridge the gap between therapy and fitness. And I started teaching these tech, these techniques and group environments. I coined the term melt and I started teaching people these light touch therapeutic techniques that basically are akin to manual therapy techniques. And it worked. I mean, people would limp in and walk out and I did that for a number of years. And then by 2010, I had helped thousands of people. My private practice, I couldn't get people out of the office because so many people needed help in New York City. I guess we have a very stressed out world there.
1: Uh
3: And that's when I set out to write the book. And um, 2013, the Melt Method book came out, uh, became a New York Times bestseller. I wrote my second book in 2019, and today we've got about 2,000 instructors worldwide. Uh, I've got an app. And basically what MELT is is a simple self-care method that teaches people how to simulate, again, manual therapy using soft tools uh, to rehydrate their connective tissue and alter sensory motor control to actually restore how our brain is anticipating how we want to move to function more efficiently, to get us back to those primal patterns that we adopted when we were between the ages of zero and two. uh, Compensation just exists over over your lifetime. But if you learn how to restore the fluid flow of fascia, if you can help to upregulate your restore regulators of your autonomic nervous system and then restore sensory motor control, you can completely rewire neural pathways and function more efficiently in just a few weeks. So the treatments range anywhere from 10 minutes a day. We have 20, 30, 60 minute classes. It just depends upon what people are willing to commit. But even just three times a week for 10 minutes a day can alter the fluid system. And the foundation of MELT is, is learning how to treat your hands and feet. That's where we start with the methodology, and that's where everybody starts with the program.
2: Nice. Well, Sue, you're a badass person. I know that. So let's take this home on that. Um, if people want to find the Melt Method, if they want to find you, if you want to plug anything, feel free to do all that.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if uh, you know if anybody is suffering in chronic pain, or you just want to improve your resilience or your performance, if you go to meltmethod.com, m-e-l-t-method.com, you can find out all about our training programs. If you're a professional, if you're the general public, Melt on Demand, all the all the um, blogs and everything I write. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook uh, and, uh, uh, what's the other one? TikTok. God help us TikTok, uh, under melt method. So you can find me on melt method and also YouTube. If you just want to learn a little bit about what melt is, go to, go to YouTube and type in melt method. And there's a whole bunch of free videos there as well.
2: Sue, thanks for being here.
3: Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Thank right. you.
2: We're out here folks. See you.